Well, as we begin, first off, good evening. Hope you're doing well this evening, and I've been a privilege to be with you out through all the days. I know that y'all are looking very much forward to having your pastor back, and uh, I appreciate for this last time, you know, for me having the opportunity to be here for this little bit of time. If you think of it, dude, be praying for our family. Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, we head out, our flight leaves at 6.30 in the morning, and at 6.30 we fly to Charlotte, North Carolina, and drop our, our oldest daughter at, at camp and, uh, and, and Shelby near the that Shelby area. Then I get a rental car and the rest of the family, we drive down to South Georgia because I'm preaching there on Monday evening, well tomorrow evening, at a camp. So that means from pretty much four o'clock in the morning on, it's going to be on. (laughs) I think at this time, time at this point, I have 45 minute window to make sure that I'm there in South Georgia to preach on time. So we do pray that everything does come together as is, you know, the Lord has it, you know, that a little bit late. We told the, the folks that were there, but Lord willing, we can make all the arrangements and stuff. Our daughter really wanted to go to camp. It did not work last year. And so we're hoping that does work out. So you think of it, do pray for us as we pray for you here. Um, I do pray for your ministry, that ministry that's here every week. I pray for your pastor. I pray for Brother Elwood. Um, I pray just so that God would continue to use them. Actually, when he was leading, um, but I was leading singing is just kind of go back in your mind, you know, to coming into evangelism seminar. Are you even here, CJ? Anyway, oh, he's right there. Anyway, coming into evangelism seminar, and as I walked into evangelism seminar, my first class, one of the first times that I was, you know, as far as being a student or whatnot, and uh, just kind of looking back and seeing Elwood there now saying, you look exactly the same. I don't know how you pull that off, but looking exactly the same as he was all those years ago, and it's kind of interesting. As, you, as I'll see him lean, sing in my mind, I'm a nostalgia gang, and as, as singing, lean, singing, and I'm like, you know what, Adrian, you got one life, you got one shot, and it's just amazing to see how God is using different friends in the body of Christ. You know, been serving the Lord faithfully here, falling in love with the Lord differently, God's showing him different things in his life to bring him to a point, and for me, a whole different path altogether, but just amazing, the faithfulness of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is amazing, and it's amazing to serve the Lord. I hope that there's no one that puts it in your mind whatsoever, that there's anything this world has to offer than what it was that the Christ gives to us in his life. God is so, God's so good. You know, as we look here, um, though this tonight, I'm not a meteorologist by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm going to give you a forecast. <laughs> this is called an emotional forecast. Here's what I mean by I'm going to give you an emotional forecast. Through the message tonight, the faces at the beginning of the message are going to be, huh? Then you'll hear my text and we'll go through it and you'll go like, okay. Then toward the definite middle point, you go, I can see that. I can agree. The conclusion, you'll go, ah, <laughs> ah. And you might leave that way. <laughs> but I want you at least to give it till Monday morning. I want it to be that you're not just hearing a message and I'm not, you really, I mean, only God is going to be the one changing anybody's heart about anything. But I, I do find that you continue to meditate on this truth. Hope that you come back to passages to be able to look through certain things. And I hope that you would do that tonight before you think that this time is just wasted to any degree. Um, we're going to be in the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 13. As you're turning there to Psalm 13, though, I've, I've noticed something about our current culture to which you live. I am just going to make observations. This is part of the, okay, type fact, but follow me. I'm just make observations. You don't have to agree. really doesn't matter. We're going to come to the same stop sign at the end of the day at the intersection, right? But 
I think in our culture that we have an amazing way of praising the person who is the optimist in the room. There's nothing wrong with having an optimistic type spirit. In fact, there's a couple people I've asked in my life, especially there's one pastor's wife who she was so sweet. She was so kind. I was at the restaurant and I said, ma'am, can you help me out? What do you look like when you're mad? Like when you're like mad, mad, you know? Like, like even her mad face is almost like, you can't even do that right, you know? Like she's just such a kind type person, optimistic. Like even if you said something about the devil, she would say something like this. Well, I know the devil's a bad guy, but I tell you, he sure is persistent, isn't he? You know, like, like find some way to look at someone and find this positive silver lining about any situation or any, anyone. We praise the optimist, but I do want to say if we do that, I'm just going to say some observations I've noticed. Number one, it creates a culture that if you don't see a silver lining in your situation, then something must be wrong with you. If you don't see the reason why God's doing something in your life, so you lost your job, well, why do you lose your job? Because God has a better one. What if God doesn't have a better one? You lost this situation and, and now you're not going to get that dream house. So that means God has the other dream house that's even bigger. What if he doesn't? You say, Adrian, you're being cruel. I, I'm just saying that sometimes if we got to find the silver lining in the situation during a point in our lives, specifically, we think to ourselves, God, you let us down. Now, the second thing it kind of does is this. Again, we don't have to agree, but it causes many to fake happiness when there's no silver lining in their situation. Meaning that, so, so if I don't have a silver lining in my situation, then I've got to create some type of silver lining. So therefore, I am happy. See, the reason why I can be happy right now is because there's a silver lining. And even though I really don't even believe it, yeah, I really don't even think it, it's just I've got to find something because doesn't everybody have a silver lining in every single bad situation? So what happens is we come, and that's where plastic smiles come in. That's where ingenuine things that are happening in our life we pretend are actually going our way when we know nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> also, it does this, which I think is the most important. It creates a culture where it demeans the fact that God is the silver lining. You know the silver lining in every situation? God. Say, what do you mean by that? God's hand is still there. See, 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 like, we need a, okay, this person died, so that means at the funeral three people got, might get saved. That could be, and maybe that's the case, and praise God. But if no one got saved, God <laughs> is still the silver lining. God is still in absolute control of this situation. And honestly, he's all I need. To say that there has to be something else demeans the fact that God's hand and his control, we need something more. Now, because of that, I believe then it's the path of grief many times, what we're speaking, kind of talking about, is the path of grief many times is used to get us down the path of trust. And if we try to find a premature silver lining many times, I believe we truly are leaving the classroom before the lesson is over. 
Many times what happens if a person's going through pain, we truly, and I think well-meaning sometimes, go to speak to people, and as we do, pretty much, we want to rush them through the process then of grief. We need to move on. We got to get this over with, okay? You're still crying about this, all right? You lost that baby how long ago? Come on, we got to get going here. You know, like sometimes, inadvertently, it comes that we need to rush we got to get this over with so we can get to the next stage so we all can be happy and everybody can be happy and everybody's okay and we don't have to talk about hard things or whatever the situation is. Now we find though that there is a Christian discipline that I believe is being absolutely ignored. It's a discipline that God has designed for us to get from one pull of pain in our life to another pull of pain. It is not something we can rush. It is not something to be fast forward it is a process that God requires and I think the Christian discipline we have lost is the discipline of lamenting before God keep in mind that one-third of the book of Psalms are lament Psalms we like to end our songs that we sing with we have now got to the mountaintop and now we are doing awesome and everything's okay. Cue the victory music because we're going to come crush the mountain. When in some circumstances that is not what is happening. As we look at this discipline in Psalm 13, I want us to notice a pattern here. The purpose of this is just, it's, it's just a teaching portion of just understanding what lamenting is about before we jump into this one point I truly want to make. I've entitled it this. The reason for the title is I take it from what some people I've heard say. Um, if somebody is crying um, sometimes, um, we, we, we see crying and there's people who have a tear come to their eye, but there, there's sometimes when a person cries and it's like, and snot is flinging everywhere, and tears are flying, and, and mascara, from my understanding, is stuck to the side of the head, or, or whatever the situation is. Some people call that ugly crying. You might have heard that statement before, that phrase, ugly crying. I want the message how to be this. Ugly praying. Ugly praying. Where the words just might not come out so smoothly, but still it's what God asked. Psalm 13 is an example of a lament psalm. Let's look at it together. Verse number one, the Bible says this. How long will thou forget me, O Lord? Forever. How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Let's go to the structure of a lament psalm, right after we have a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you for the Bible and what you teach us. I do pray, Lord, as well, this truth, Lord, you have sown in my heart of a discipline that so often I fail. I pray, Lord, that you just enable me, Father, to be able to explain and, Lord, teach this what's in your word. I pray, Lord, that you just help hearts that are hurting tonight, where confusion abounds tonight. Oh, I pray for those who are the application, Lord, that would it be something, Lord, that we would truly take to heart. Help us to be mindful of this passage, of this truth that you teach in your word. 
We thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you for everything I thought you will do. In Christ, and we pray to Amen. This psalm is easily broken down in the sense of how lamenting works. The first two verses are one part, the second two verses, and the last two verses as well. You will see different structures as far as in length, as far as when you find a lament psalm. The first verses 1 and 2, we have what often has been called the complaining stage. Verses 1 and 2, the complaining stage. This is, it sounds like a harsh word to say complaining, but look at the questions he's asking God. Lord, how long are you going to forget me, Lord, forever? How long shall thou hide thy face from me? Now, let's understand something about lament psalms, okay? This, we are hoping that there are some things that are already assumed about lament psalms. Lament psalms are not made for us to justify our current position of sin. This is not your time to go to God and tell him all the things you do not like about his character and different things. You see, this is a, something that pride is checked in at the door, baby, before you walk, in this, walk into this house. You, you look, arrogance is checked in before we begin to talk to God on this kind of level. We got to understand that when we come to God in this a lament type setting, we, we bring our our grievances to God. We bring our heart that is broken and poured out before our Savior. This is not a time for us to get one up on God or whatever the situation is. The complaining that is coming from here is a heart that is broken unto God. He's bearing his soul. He comes with his pain, not his pride. He comes to God and saying, God, I've tried these different things. I have thought through. I have asked you to clean me during certain services. Lord, I'd ask you to show me and Lord, in my asking and asking, and it seems that you're not hearing me, God, here is my lament. Here am I coming to you. As he comes to God, you see different types are looking types of psalms that are lament psalms. Often many of them will start with this. Arise, O Lord, grant us help. Remember your covenant. Teach me. Let justice be done. Vindicate me. Don't remember my sins. Restore me. He often, often psalms that are lament psalms is God, don't be silent. It seems that you're doing nothing on my behalf. And I am doing all the things I believe you are telling me to do. So you find the complaining stage. You can go through all different, look for this structure whenever you read a psalm that starts off with hard questions like this. It continues. The second part, then, is the asking stage, verses 3 and 4. It says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes as I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevail against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Well, the second part of the lament psalm is this. Well, what are you asking for? <laughs> you could probably find this easy to believe, but I have a problem. My problem is over-explaining things. <laughs> if someone asks me how you're doing, I'll say, well, let me think about that. Let me give you a long answer. <laughs> you know, I've learned just to say I'm fine and move on with my life. But anyway, I've, I have a tendency to over-explain. I remember when I was asking um, Mr. Lucas, which is my father-in-law, Pastor Lucas. We don't go by first name basis. Yeah, if I want to lose my life, that's what I would do. But <laughs> Pastor Lucas is his name, okay? And uh, I remember when I was asking him um, to marry Tabitha. You can judge me now. It's fine. But when I came to him to ask for, for Tabitha's hand, I literally had three points and Bible verses to why I believed I was to marry Tabitha. And uh, I was going to let him know all three of those points in case he had any type of questions of whether or not I should marry his daughter. <laughs> I remember I got there and every big conversation we ever had was inside of his F-350 that he loved very much. Because if you're going to catch him, you're going to catch him while he's working. So I remember I 
met him there inside his truck, and I was super nervous. And I began, he says, this is classic phrase, well, Adrian, you wanted to ask me something, you have the floor. I said, thank you. I got ready, and I started waxing eloquent on point number one. About midway through point number one, and then getting into point number two, Pastor Lucas put his hand up and said, Adrian, <clears throat> let me just stop you there. If there's something you want to ask me, just go ahead and ask me. You can save all the details for the ladies. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I said, okay, can I marry your daughter? <laughs> and I jumped right to it. You know, in this lament psalm, you find that this is something similar. Okay, bring your questions. Okay, fine. What do you want me to do? Well, well, well like, I mean, to compl the complaining stage, hear me closely, is not the destination. This is just the transportation, okay? It gets the questions rolling in your heart. And as you look here, the, then we say, God, what is it that you want? Well, he makes his, his position clear. He's saying to God, I need you to hear me, lest mine eyes seek the sleep of death. So he's asking God as well to enlighten his eyes. This is, this is the idea for this psalmist that's praying this. Lord, I, like, like, Lord, I need you to give me that life back again. God, I'm like living in this fog. Like, like I I used to be able to do the service I did for you and it only took a certain amount of output for me to do it but now just to maintain the output that I had and I've done for years is taking so much out of me God that if I keep up at this pace then my eyes I will die my eyes they need to be lights and you've got to give me something because worth the path I'm not too bright but I know the path I'm on right now now is not sustainable. My mind, my heart cannot do this. So we ask God, God, you got to give me something. You got to give me that energy. You got to lighten my eyes. Then he says something else. He continues and he says, lest mine enemies say I prevail against him and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. This doesn't seem to be like a spiritual type request, but he says honestly what his concern is. He's like, Lord, there are people who don't know your name. There are people who are without and they're placing bets on whether I'm, not gonna con whether I'm gonna continue to serve you. Lord, there's people that are out there and they're thinking, well, he's gonna stop sometime. <laughs> yeah, I saw him. What happened in his life and so eventually he's going to quit that Jesus thing he's going to quit that church thing he's going to go back to his old ways you just watch what one big situation hit him upside the head and he's going to go back to his old life he says Lord I'm trying to represent you and as I'm trying to represent you you got to give me something because there are people that are placing bets right now that this is not real and I know it's real in my heart but it just right now God it doesn't seem you're doing anything with what's what I'm going through he pours his questions in this asking. So you start off always, like I said, a complaining stage, questioning. Big questions usually are asked. Then we get to this asking stage of exactly what do you want God to do? Then in every, well, most lament psalms, I should say, there's always a transition word or a transition verse. In this case, it's very simple. It's a transition word, and it says, but I have trusted. This is what we call the worship stage. He says this, but I have trusted in thy mercy, and my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. 
This is so strange because it doesn't seem to match anything within the verse. It's almost like, well, where did that come from? I mean, we're just talking about how horrible my day is, and it's like, but Lord, I trust in thy mercy. Do you know what, this, what we find at the end of every lament psalm is worship given to God. Even though a person is drowning in their circumstances, they are doing everything they can to sort out the lies that are inside their mind and focus upon that which is truth. Could you imagine the Bible Leah if she were lamenting to God? You talk about a person who felt absolutely worthless in the Bible. A woman that the first response of somebody that would bring her somewhat of happiness upon this earth in a mere relationship, she gets married to Jacob and the first response that she even sees from another person is, oh, I didn't want you. That's not, you're not what I, like could you imagine what does to a person's psyche? But to, the, to their heart and realize that I'm just this broken? <laughs> like, like, so she does the best she can. I got to find worth somewhere. So every husband loves a person who has sons. And so for years, she has child after child thinking that, that that's going to be my ticket in. And then I will feel loved. And then I will feel appreciated. And I can move from this worthless feeling that I have. Could you imagine her lament as she came to God? But then one day, when she names Judah, you find that at some point there was some type of transformation inside of Leah. And yes, she had a stumble later on when her sister brought the mandrakes, but you find that that specific time when you have is, this is what is called a sacrifice of praise. God, I'm going to choose to trust you and acknowledge, Lord, that you are who you say you are, even if I don't feel it. Did you hear the word of a sacrifice of praise? What's a sacrifice? You ain't got nothing, but you can give it, right? So do you want to be a sacrifice for some people? Praise. Praise. To have nothing in the bank and still say, God, I don't feel like you're, you're listening, but I know you are faithful. <laughs> Look, silence about your problem doesn't give you any special faith with God. Silence and ignoring whatever it is that is troubling you in your heart and your life, takes no faith. But it does take faith to then go to the promises of God and then look and say, God, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to claim I know you are this. And you know inside of my heart there's a thousand voices screaming, no, you're not. No, he's not. No, he's not. But I will choose to worship you. I will choose to still call your name and still trust that you are merciful. You will vindicate me. God, you will do this. I will worship you regardless. That's why the accuser of the brethren does very well by filling our minds with lays and not focusing upon the truth. You find that's the end of every lament psalm is a time of worship. Much could be said, much could be preached from, I mean, even from that passage right there, but that's not my intention. That's lamenting. So, one point. As you go through this lament psalm, I would dare say that, just from my observation, that we do not find a common ground of this happening often. Many times in our prayer life, I don't know how many times where I've got on my knees and I... Then in my head began to say, start off knowing I'm going to end with praise, but starting off with these hard questions then to ask unto my God. However, 
Because of that reason, I think one of the detrimental things that we find by not lamenting is in the New Testament, the body of Christ, then we see not just lamenting, but praying together. And as they're praying together, including those prayers, most definitely be lament type prayers, which would mean that there's an art that is being lost today, which is the art of then Bible-believing Christians now praying together. If I were to come and say, brother, could you pray with me after a service? Many times we think to ourselves, wow, he must be having marital problems. That's why he needs to pray with somebody. Many times if somebody has to pray with somebody, it's often that we already think some terrible thing when it should just be part of just how the body works. And as it's happened, if we're not even praying together about things that are just regular matters, there's an art that is gone. And the art is this, weeping with them that weep. Let me tell you a story. Um, my wife has four-stage endometriosis, which means it's very, for us, for us to have children, just the, the OB said, look, it's just, y'all need to consider adoption for your real, the reality of where you are. We knew because of us traveling on the road that adoption was not going to be an option because, I mean, how do you explain to people that you have a stable life living in a fifth-wheel trailer? And so we realized that probably that kids were not going to be in our future. Remember, we prayed and asked the Lord about it, and we almost lost Jasmine, but God saw fit that we had Jasmine. You know, there's an age gap. You see both my daughters together. There's a significant age gap between the two because there's two children in between Jasmine and Janae. I remember we were at a church, and uh, we had just, and again, the whole story behind all this was unique, but um, we had just lost a baby, and um, my wife, she was, we were at a revival services and stuff, and Jasmine, we were at somebody's home, and Jasmine was sitting down, and this lady had many children, they were running all around the house, and as they were running around the house, they weren't really behaving, and so they, she gave me an, a very sideways compliment, which wasn't a compliment in itself, but Jasmine was sitting there, she looked at my wife, and she said something like this, <laughs> she said, wow, it's probably easy for you to keep that one under control. But don't worry, one day when you become a real mom and have more than one, then you'll know what it's like to be able to take care of a house like this. And when she said that, obviously it goes down. It's one of the most hurtful things my wife has ever heard from somebody. Now, as with every hurtful thing that's said, I usually take stock. I don't think through it. You know, because my first response is, were you raised by wolves? You know, like, like what, why would you say something quite like that? But here's what's interesting. I don't think the lady meant to be malicious. In fact, I don't think she's ever gone in her quiet time with the Lord and prayed, God, forgive me for what I said to Tabitha and Adrian. I don't think she ever did. I have no idea. She probably doesn't even know the statement she made was so hurtful that it would be quoted word for word years down the road. Then what exactly then happened in that case? Man, this passage helped me. See, I then understood this fact. I'm not saying she was being malicious, but I can make one observation. She's never wept with a person who's ever struggled with infertility. If you had wept with somebody that had walked that road, something that would never come out of your mouth. Sometimes we equate that lamenting is the compromising of where you and I stand. 
Truth is truth no matter how you cut the pie. However, oftentimes, because of the failure to lament with others, we've never walked in someone else's pain because we're busy handing them pills to get over it and move on from where they are. So you heard that statement that was made to my wife. You know, oftentimes I will hear statements, especially in light of our world today, to my family. Adrian, I heard you say something in the hallway about racial things happening in our world today, Adrian. Oh, I heard that. I tell you, if you just stop talking about it, it'd probably go away. In fact, you're just probably part of the problem making things the way that they are. I tell you, I don't know where you stand about those different things, Adrian, but I tell you what, and then come to instruct me. Now, see, see, many times there was a day that I would get so upset. You know, there's a day that it's like, come on, I'm trying to explain, and maybe we should go out to eat, and I begin to explain, like, bro, I mean, 90% of the places I preach, I could never pastor, and it's something that kind of bothers me. (laughs) You know, it's something that I I can't really explain to put into words, and then, then here's the conclusion I finally came to. The, the statements that were made, the Facebook books that were posted, the things that were taking place, I think I got it. They just never wept with somebody who's different than them. <laughs> They've never See, See, what I'm saying is, does the truth change? No. The truth never changes. But how the truth is inactive changes when you've taken time before you run your mouth, your eyes have run. Before you have prescriptions of how to fix every person and everything, you've taken time to weep with somebody who's walked down that path. Listen, I've heard the jokes. I remember hearing statements from the pulpit. This is so messed up. Boys can't even figure out what boy, if they're a boy or not. Girls can't figure out if they're a girl or not. Can't figure out what person to marry anymore in these days. Let me, let me, let me just say something. Name the sin in the United States of America that from the pulpit... We will publicly degrade like that. What if I talked about adultery like that? A man's been caught in adultery trying to make things right with his wife. He comes to church for a Sunday, and I make a statement like this. What's wrong with you, buddy? You didn't know what's wrong with your wife? Come on. You know what she looks like? Your wife is blonde, man. And here you are over there with her. She has red hair. Come on. What do you think? What I'm saying, what other sin... Do we ever look at another human being and then find it that, okay, fine, condemn what is taking place of the sin, but do you know it changes the way we speak to others when we've taken time to weep with somebody who is trying to get victory in that area? There are often times that if we want to say the Word of God has the truth and the Word of God can change lives, Sometimes what we are actually saying is not that God can change your life. It's like get your life all together and fixed up pretty good. Then come to us and we'll help you the rest of the way through. I believe that we stand for truth, man. You dare not leave this place and put words in my mouth. 
you dare not leave this place and say, there's a path given to sin. I will say that, let's pretend it this way. Let's say that you struggled with the sin you hate the most. Let's, it's easy to condemn sin you don't struggle with. We know that, right? We can do that all day. It's not a temptation for me to drink, so therefore when I preach on, don't bother me to be talk about being drunk with wine. It doesn't bother me. But you see, see, but the day that I actually begin to be a temptation, what I'm saying is consider yourself over here that the sin you despise the most, you have a struggle. And ask yourself this question. If you were over here struggling with that and your present you was over here, would your struggling you ever talk to the present you? Would the struggling you would ever feel that it is okay to approach you as you stand, looking at your social media page, and then saying, you know what? I think I can talk to them about this issue in my life. What I'm saying is many times our testimony, though not lacking truth, is a dumpster fire when it comes to the fact of saying things after we've wept with somebody about those things. The list can go on. I put in my notes, I'm not going to talk about all of these, but a child who's run away from home, from the Lord. Having a person, a, a family a, that has mental health issues. Talking about people who are living in pain. I go through my mind and I look at all these people that I've heard messages about living in pain. You know, I get in church, brother, mental health, just take a pill and you'll be all right. Uh, Runaway child, if you raise some white. What I'm saying is, think of all these situations and statements. Think of the things we've heard in the past. And do you not realize that if even there was the slightest reality of weeping with those who wept, that if it were commonplace to lament together as a body, that there would be understanding for the complex things. Everything in life doesn't fit in a meme. Every decision you make doesn't fit in 100 or 260 characters for us to figure out some things are complicated and that's why God allows us to walk through with certain people take your little pill of saying hey fix this and get this over with so you can stop talking about it no put your pills away and weep with somebody so Adrian what does that look like oh I'm glad you asked <laughs> you know uh, many times though well-meaning. Well, let me just pose a question like this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you're going through a difficult circumstance and somebody trying to be able to give you a word of encouragement says something that's terribly insulting? They say something that does not help the situation, but for the sake of their feelings, you decide just to leave it right there and tell your wife about it later on. What I'm saying is sometimes you don't understand. You don't get it. You, you might have had a similar circumstance, but you don't know where their life is. You don't know what it's like to lose your spouse at this age. You don't know. And so sometimes one of the greatest things to do is when somebody pours their pain. Well, brother, it's been a long time since I've seen my spouse. Brother, I can't say anything to you. But brother, do you mind? May I have to serve. Can we just pray together? Not, oh, I understand where you're coming from, brother. When I was such and such amount of age, this, stop, stop. 
just weep with them. Wouldn't it be amazing if you were a spot that somebody could go into a room and cry a prayer like this to God and there you're in their presence holding their hand as they're praying through what it's like to have a child who will come back to God and they beg God and here you are holding their hand and crying with them. What I'm saying is it changes things when we learn the discipline of lamenting. I invite you, maybe today, Maybe tomorrow, depending on what season of life you are in, I invite you to ugly pray. After you tried ugly praying, praying for your own, I invite you then to enter into the pain of another. It's going to cause discomfort, I assure you. But enter into the grief of another and weep with somebody else. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe during this invitation time, you need to tell the Lord what needs to be done in your life. You might be on one side and you're in a tough season right now. I have nothing for you, but God does. He is the silver lining. Maybe there's a brother and sister in Christ who you know somebody's going through something. Maybe you need to offer your hand and say, brother, we can get together and we can just pray. Just hold your hand while you pour your heart to God. During this time, you might need to make a plan of either praying with somebody or maybe for you, maybe you need to call out to God in an ugly praying situation. But as we have this time, of reflection and meditation here as we get ready to pray in just a second. I don't want to ignore that maybe you need to call out to God and way more than just how your pain is in your life. But you need to cry out to God concerning your spiritual state. Maybe you've never been saved from your sin. Your greatest problem is not whether or not you have these certain things here on earth. Your greatest need is whether or not you've been forgiven and Jesus is your Savior. There's invitation time. I invite you to call out to him in salvation. If there's any question you have about that, we have people that will be at the front. I Come up to me, go to the back. to I talk to you about what it means to be saved from your sin and the Bible way, the Bible verses to show you about that. But as we are here doing this invitation together, in the silence of this room as the piano plays, let's begin calling out to the Lord. Maybe you've had a pretty harsh view towards situations that you can honestly say you don't understand. There are some, your social media presence has really not represented God well. I didn't say nothing wasn't true of what is listed. I didn't say nothing was, couldn't be verified. I'm just saying does it echo the sentiment that before I run my mouth, have my eyes run with the person that this would affect? Let's pray.
Father in heaven, Lord, how we thank you, Lord, for truth. Lord, I, I pray that you would take your word, Lord, as a, a, a truth about lamenting that we find all throughout the Old Testament, all through the book of Psalms. So many prophets of God, so many kings of Israel have come to you and have poured this kind of praying unto you, God. I pray for the ones who are hurting inside this room, Lord, that this would become part of just who they are, coming to you, Lord, expressing their faith in a way that's unique, in a way that you ask us to, to come and pour our hearts Lord, checking our pride in at the door and Lord, pouring our heart out to thee. God, I pray by this practice and this discipline, Lord, that as the body of Christ, we will grow stronger and we will grow closer together. Lord, we are not better independent of each other, just doing our own things and coming together on Sunday to have some semblance of order. Lord, this is a life thing that we've got together in. Lord, we are part of the body and I pray, Lord, that as part of the body, we would not just leave the appendages out, the ones that we don't feel or the ones that we don't understand. I pray, Lord, that we would enter the complicated. Lord, we would decide, Lord, to enter into areas that might cause us grief, that might calls us personal pain even though we're not physically in the middle of, of pain ourselves God allow us to be able to be like you and enter into this very crucial and complex area and weep with people help us to rejoice with those who rejoice but Lord help us to never neglect what you've asked us to do with one another I pray for words to be carefully chosen. I pray that attitudes would be examined. I pray that hearts would be touched. I thank you, Lord, for what you show us in your word. You bring forth the increase. Lord, I'm not looking for any popularity contest. I'm the audience of one, and that is you. And I pray you are pleased this evening. For us in Christ, I may certainly pray it. Amen and amen. Stay with me.